Welcome to the 26th episode of Dialogica. I'm Stephanie Tankilisan. And I'm Sweden Lee. We're recording in a different place today, which is the offices of Stephanie Tankilisan. <laughs> so you hear traffic noises, it's because this is daytime. And we're not in an isolated place, also with no studio budget. Yes, so... So, anyway, uh, this week we're going to talk about the ongoing case between the farmers of Gendeng and the authorities over the right to build cement factories in the Gendeng region. Recently, farmers have come to Jakarta to conduct a feed cement protest in which they encased their feet in blocks of cement for days on end. So we're going to unpack the protest a little bit, observe the history, and see what they're fighting for. One thing we realized hearing about you know, their justifications for their protest is how much we also need to help take part in taking care of our environment and as Indonesian people a lot of our identity is based on how beautiful our country is and we actually need to you know take part in that and preserve that in order to have that for our future generations so here's to it background on this issue to those who are not that familiar about it yet i think um it is a pretty niche topic for Mm -hmm. our outside listeners or people who are not in the activism space in indonesia currently i mean even people in indonesia i think might not know the intricacies of the story so we want to really make sure to provide the context as much as we can Mm -hmm. and as with the best information and knowledge that we do know. A lot of these protesters are coming from the Kandang region, which encompasses villages such as Rambang and Pati. Um, They're mostly farmers who tend to grass fields, rice paddies, in order to feed their livestock. And they're heavily dependent on their natural surroundings, in particular their natural water resources. And a lot of these farmers have been farming in this land for generations. So this is really the only life they know right and the yeah and this is the only way they can provide for their family this struggle started in july 2014 when pt cement indonesia the largest cement company in indonesia and a state-owned enterprise so for some of you american listeners who aren't familiar with the concept of state-owned enterprises um so it's basically a company built by the government right and so oftentimes they differ based on how much stake the government owns or if mm-hmm. they're already you know listed in the stock exchange market so even though they're supposed to be an enterprise which is to look for profit they also are usually in spaces like infrastructure like railroads electricity energy um kind of usually sometimes public good type things that are for the greater good of the people that corporations might otherwise you know not provide or provide at a very high price i mean a lot of Countries do this, right? Because they know that the government itself cannot always fulfill the needs of the market. Mm-hmm. They need some sort of enterprise yeah. entity to yeah. do it. So this is hardly anything new. Yeah, and it's actually like very popular in China. China SOEs are a big part of how China really grew really fast. Mm-hmm. And um, usually these kind of companies have a lot of weight in terms of like legislative authority. And there's a minister for state-owned enterprises, Rini Sumarno, who's one of the more powerful ministers. So the state-owned enterprise minister is one of the most powerful ministers in the country. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, so they came in to this area uh, in 2014 to conduct a feasibility study to build new factories and processing plants in the area. And from the beginning, the farmers of Kanang rejected this idea and started, you know, a legal appeals process in order to stop them from entering the area. Just because mm-hmm. the nature of a cement factory, it, you know, destroys karst or like this geological formations to take as a raw material for cement. Mm-hmm. And actually, right, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Gandeng is known for its deposits of karst, which yeah. is itself very valuable also for the local farmers because that's a water source. Yeah. It's a porous type of rock that contains a lot of healthy water, mm-hmm. which the farmers need for farming, etc. So yeah. it's not just about wanting to stop the cement company from building stuff. They also need this formation. So from 2015 onwards, right, a year after Peta Cement Indonesia has come into the scene, a lot of these farmers started doing really active protests, including erecting tents in front of the residence of the central Javanese governor Ganjar Pranowo, who had given licenses and permits to Peta Cement Indonesia. The farmers of Kandang also um, lobbied their case to local courts, which eventually led their case to be heard in the Supreme Court. In April 2016, the group of female farmers which then the media started calling Kartini Kandang, uh, walked for three days from where they live in Rambang to Jakarta in order to conduct their first ever cement protests. Mm-hmm. So one thing as well is that they're often called the Kartini of Kandang. The reason for that is that this area of villages includes Rambang, where the regency from which the husband of Kartini was regent of. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, there's like kind of this history about Kartini being from that area, and these protesters are primarily led by women. For Indonesians, being called the Kartini means that you're a national hero, a feminist hero, a person who fights for the empowerment of women. And mm-hmm. I don't think they usually reference themselves as Kartini. It's, yeah. it's a name that's bestowed to them. And it's bestowed with a certain sense of admiration, yeah. right? Because they are fighting for rights and they are putting their lives and livelihoods on the line yeah. for justice and rights. Yeah. And this was really big news. Um, these nine female farmers had their feet encased in cement over the course of two days right across from the presidential palace where President Jokowi lives. And then finally, after two days, Jokowi and the government gave a response, mm-hmm. um, telling them that, yes, you will have a meeting with the president. Mm-hmm. And so they had their cement blocks broken apart and they stopped the protest. Yeah, and after the meeting with the farmers, President Jokowi ordered an environmental study over the impact of cement mining in Kandang. And he also halted new licenses and permits from being issued. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the reality is, the Pakistan Indonesia kept on doing so it. So <laughs> what, what actually happened is Ganjar Perno was like, okay, these, these previous things are all cancelled. And then he just issued new ones. That's what he did. <laughs> he just ignored precedent, basically. Just like, yeah. you know what, let's just start he's, from scratch. No, he's just like, okay, I accept that these things are no longer valid. But I will just issue new ones. Mm-hmm. That's what he did. Which is like, the moratorium means to stop. Yeah. Like also in 2016, that their camp that they built and you know they protested at was burnt by local law enforcement, wow. and this was a big thing because they've been squatting there for three years, mm-hmm. and it's just burnt. Like it's just really crazy to me how heartless people are, like yeah. to our own people. Mm-hmm. And I think big part of this is like the contradiction between a government that always says, "Oh, we want to support," you know the poor, the farmers of Indonesia, but then turn around and do these kind of things. Yeah. It's a long history of legal tussle, physical tussle, to get mm-hmm. us to this point in yeah. March mm-hmm. when the second ever cement yeah. protest started. We are right now recording on Wednesday, March 22nd. I know, we procrastinated. So Wednesday, March 22nd, and nine we- days after the protest started, which started last week on Monday, March 13th. 
So I'm currently in front of Monas, the National Monument of Jakarta. Also, it's also located in front of the Presidential Palace. Here we have over 20 people, um, 20 farmers from Kendang Rembang in Central Java, protesting against the um, protesting against the injustices they're facing with the forcible land takeover and removal of their um, land for a cement factory. So you were actually there on Thursday and Friday, so you got to witness how people actually started the feed cement protests. Can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? How they did it? Every day they add around 10 people whose feet, you know, will also be encased in cement. And um, when I was there on Friday and Thursday, um, they already had about 50 to 60 people whose wow. ha their feet was in, you know, blocks. So first each individual's calves and feet are wrapped in gypsum in order to protect their skin from cement which is like it stings like it's not a passive thing because i thought that it would be painless it's just heavy no there's like a good amount of like burning sensation that's going on because wow. you're just not meant to have your feet encased in like 15 kilograms of cement no yeah so <laughs> essentially volunteers mix cement from at the cement in Egypt, the, the cement factory brands that the, the are the one that the farmers yeah, are opposing. The farmers are opposing. They mix it in front of the presidential palace, and like they freshly mix it, and then they like put this in the wooden box that creates a kind of like a casing for the feet and the gypsum. Mm -hmm. So they fill it. They kind of like shovel the cement into this casing to you know submerge the feet i think i saw that they had their toes that's the only thing peeking yeah out the, the only boxes. thing picking out is like so the gypsum doesn't cover their toes and this is on purpose so that um the doctors and nurses can test the mobility of the farmers because otherwise they can't tell whether or not you know that the foot's still alive yeah the foot's still alive wow. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot of swelling that's going on as yeah, well. Like, sure. So the cement dries overnight, I think, um, depends on how much mixture of water there is. Mm -hmm. But each block weighs 15 kilograms or 30 pounds, which means that each individual has 30 to 60 pounds in total on their feet. Like, you cannot lift your feet with that much weight. That's so dangerous and so committed right this act of yeah. feet cementing i mean i talked to their nurse about this and she was telling me how if they're not you know being properly monitored they might you know lose feeling in their feet and and if it's not properly attended to lose their feet yeah like lose mobility in their feet mm -hmm. so it has real physical risks yeah unfortunately we have some sad news which is that in the early hours of yesterday, March 21st. Uh, one of the protesters, Ibu Patmi, who's 48 from the village of Pati, suddenly had a heart attack and unfortunately passed away en route to the hospital. And she's the first casualty of the protest. Um, it's not exactly clear what what happened, um, and and whether, whether the... it's linked to um, the protest. And um, so at this point, she was going to go home because she was one of the first protesters who had their feet encased. And, um, no, she had her, sorry, she was, she had her feet encased on Thursday because I was actually there on the day that her feet were being encased. Oh, wow. So you saw it. Yeah. Cause I didn't realize this at first because there were so many of them. I didn't meet all of them, mm -hmm. but I took photographs of the day. Right. And then, so I posted an album of that and then a few of the activists were like, oh, like this is Ibu Padmi. This is, and this is a good wow. photo of her. So they like took the photo and repurposed it but yeah like so i met her and i took like portraits of her as well um 
so she had her feet encased on Thursday. I just realized I was talking about it now. It's it's so crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, she had one of the more sullen faces, I think, and she didn't really speak very much. And and I I dug into some photos and I found a photo of her carrying the Indonesian flag in Pati, protesting from the very beginning. You know, the cement factory. Wow. So she's been in the struggle for a long time. For a long time. And I think just witnessing this in person, I don't know how you felt seeing the photos mm-hmm. um but to me i don't know it was definitely one of the most physical and visceral thing i've seen because just the commitment level it takes to do that i think it's just you can tell that these people are putting their lives on the line and their livelihoods on the line mm-hmm. and it's just incredible to me the lengths they have to go to to get attention because i know and i think everybody knows if they're not doing something this physical and this intense that they would not get media attention no um and the turnout there was just, it, there wasn't that many people. Perhaps it's because like it's during the office hours, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in comparison to the Women's March that we had, you know, it's, it's just a completely different feeling. The Women's March was sort of like a celebration and, um, you know, righteous anger. And there was sort of a happiness there. Like here, it was just like kind of this painful feeling about how how sad it is to have the government that you love, the country that you love, ignore you and mm-hmm. your plight, right? And I just wish that it had a lot more people showing up for them because if like one tenth of the people that showed up for the Women's March were here, I like I mean we'd be happy because um, you know like I think it's important to show up for when it's not your personal issue is at stake, totally. your risk is not at stake. Like sad to have like people with privilege being heard more. These people are having something like right next week that they need that will define the rest of their lives and livelihoods. You know. So at this point, a regular on our podcast, Kate Walton, was actually also at the protest and interviewed one of the leaders of the protest, Ibu Sukina. So the soundbite is in Indonesian, and I'm gonna I'm gonna translate Kate's questions, and Steph is gonna take the answer. Um, Kate asked Ibu Sukina, "Can you describe a little bit of life in Gendeng?" My life revolves around farming every day. Sometimes we might sell um, on the market from on Mondays and Thursday, but that's only until 9 a.m. And the rest of the day, we farm and grow grass to feed our livestock. And so is the environment there still natural? Is it still beautiful? In the past, yes, it was so beautiful. But with mining, it has become a lot less beautiful. And it will continue to become less beautiful if we have even more factories and more mines. Do you think there is any positive impact from the cement factories? For myself and other farmers, none whatsoever. What is the purpose of this protest for you guys? To meet with President Jokowi and ask him to shut down all factories and mines in Rambang and to stop all activities of that kind in central Java. Why do you, Ibu Sukina, want to participate in this protest yourself? Because Mother Earth is like my own mother. If humans give birth to humans, then the Earth gives birth to water, to plants, that will feed the creatures of this Earth. How long do you want to stay protesting? I don't know how long, as long as it takes, I guess. 
So actually, you, Kate, talked to Ibusukina, but you yourself also talked to Ibusukina, right? Yeah, I was too shy to like actually record. Hit record. <laughs> So, so I talked to Busukina and being the first time it met her, I kind of felt awkward. Mm-hmm. And I had a few people from the Women's March who were also there with me. Um, but one of the things we talked about trying to cheer them out was like, we're like, do you want a manicure? <laughs> city <laughs> folks. The city folk. And she was like, and they're all just, they all just laughed at us and they're like, oh, untuk apa lamba? Like, um, <laughs> like, what for? Like, yeah. they found the idea to be really funny and like kind of ridiculous. And we're just like, we're sorry, we're city folk. Like, I'm glad they were at least not offended. And then she was like oh nggak papa yeah wong kota ya wong kota ya wong desa ya jadi wong desa so what she's essentially saying is that like it's okay for like city folk to remain city folk and for people in the village to remain like from the village like as long as city folk are not forced to be village folks and village folks are not forced to be city folks it's okay like there's a balance to be made there mm-hmm. it's not that she's anti-capitalist but she wants the natural order of things to like not be forced upon them yeah i don't know like to me like that little analogy kind of like made sense because she was like she was talking about if you come to kandang or if you come like you see even city folk would want to have the environment of the beautiful environment of indonesia to be preserved because that's such a big part of our identity and she wants to like also have that for the future of of generations not just for her but for us like mm-hmm. a city folk as well you know You know, speaking about the community in Kandang and how this is their overarching philosophy, right? That we have to be responsible to the environment and we can't just throw away what Mother Earth has given us just for the sake of economic progress. Um, I did a little bit of historical research and discovered a very interesting a very interesting part of Indonesian activist history that we don't really know about, which is the Samin community and movement. It started in the late 1800s by a Javanese farmer from the Kandang region called Samin Surosentiko. So at this time, Indonesia was still under Dutch colonial rule, and the Dutch government has just taken ownership of all the natural resources that the local farmers depended on. Samin, as one of the farmers, was really unhappy with how the Dutch not only has taken ownership, but also started imposing taxes to the locals who have been farming and using this land for hundreds of years. The Dutch. Yes. Never forget. So, in protest against the Dutch government, Simon started to preach... This is like the Boston Tea Party movement. Yeah, like an underground activist movement from the masses, right? Mm -hmm. He started to teach a uh, philosophy of non-violent civic resistance. Mm -hmm. So, not paying taxes. OG Gandhi. (laughs) um, Holding protests and demonstrations against the government, you know, really being anti-colonials and anti-capitalists because that was what's threatening the environment at this point. The movement became a larger community and Samin became an almost cult-like figure as the leader. And by the early 1900s, there were rumors that there are now 5,000 members in the Samin community. And of course, the Dutch began to fear Samin's growing influence. So in 1907, they exiled Samin and his followers to the city of Padang in Sumatra, a completely different island with a completely different landscape. And so, you know, basically in 1914, Samin died in exile and he never went back to central Java. But today, a hundred years, almost a century, more than a century after Samin's death, there is still the Samin community who still believes in nonviolence resistance for the sake of fighting for the environment. So I think it's important for us to discuss this issue and here the concerns of the people, yep. right? I mean, these farmers 
are literally the backbone of our economy. They provide the food and resources that yeah. we need in order to grow as mm-hmm. a maturing democracy and maturing country. And so if we ignore their needs, and these are real needs and rights, where, like, what's the future, right? Like, where's mm-hmm. the future of the nation? I guess to add to what Sweden is saying is that I don't think like being for the environment is anti-economic growth. And even one of the primary organizers actually said in his oration that they are not against economic growth. Like it's just that they we need to make sure that it's done in a sustainable fashion in a way that doesn't erase the beauty of the environment for the future generations. And I think we need to you know take heed of that message. I think we as citizens of Indonesia need to protect our environment better mm-hmm. and support those who are doing the good fight, right? Because if we lose the environment, then we lose the very nature of our identity as Indonesians, I feel like. You know, we're, we live, we are lucky enough to live in one of the most biodiverse, lush, beautiful landscapes in the world. And we are risking it every day when we don't address these kind of issues. It's just crazy to me, like how much time they have to spend, how much toil they have to suffer for their voices to even be heard by the president who won't even meet them. Thank you so much for listening to us this week. Uh, we hope you kind of took away something from it. As always, um, music credits to Jazzart, Ryan Little, and Bro for Free. And if you haven't followed us on YouTube, um, our latest channel uh, you should definitely follow yeah. us we're also still going to be on soundcloud but we want to uh, highlight youtube a bit more and also it's a lot easier i guess to listen on youtube than yeah. say like open up soundcloud or you know go into itunes and download the podcast so we're trying to make it easier for you guys to to, uh, listen. to enjoy the episodes yeah and once again we always always really want feedback so email us at dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or send us a facebook message or comment on youtube And as always, uh, we'll have resources and links at our website, theologica.id. And thanks so much for listening. Bye.